Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you guys today? Good, good. I'm excited. We're starting a new series called Hope in the Dark. It is actually on the book of Habakkuk in the Bible. So I want you to do me a favor, though. Um, I want you to also, if you have time, if you can, I want you to check out the book by Pastor Craig Gestell. He actually wrote a book called Hope in the Dark, and it is what we will be going through. And I think that you will learn even more and go in more in depth than we will throughout these sermon series, throughout this sermon series. But I'm sure we can relate to people near us or us who have had darkest days. I mean, how many of us had darkest days in our lives? Okay, I'm just making sure you're, you're here. For those that didn't raise your hands, you know, this message might not be for you. But I do want to say this. I can remember some darkest days in my life. I can remember um, my mom quite a while ago had gotten breast cancer. And it was a simple procedure. And they went in, they got everything, and it was taken care of. But I can remember those moments thinking, okay, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? But see, it didn't stop there. Because a couple years later, my mom ended up with something else. And I started questioning God, okay, why? Why, God, did you heal her here, but yet here she has something called multiple systems atrophy, where her body is shutting down from the inside out? Why, God, does she have the symptoms of Parkinson's as well as Alzheimer's and her muscles are cramping like MS people. Like, why, God? I don't understand. You allowed her to come through it here, but yet now she has it here. Doesn't make sense. Why? Why, God, have for 23 years, since the age of 21, have I had diabetes? Type 1. Why? Why, God? Why haven't you healed me? Have you been there? Have you said, God, I don't understand? The next three weeks, as we study the book of Habakkuk, we are going to go through this. And we're going to talk about struggles that we come up against in our lives. Because I know we all do. You look around St. George and you see struggles. You see teenagers struggling. You see college-age students struggling. You see people saying, why, God? Why? And the thing is, we struggle in trusting in him during those times. And Habakkuk did as well. And that's what we're going to talk about. But before we go on, let's pray. Father, I just ask that you will guide and direct us. Holy Spirit, say my words. There are things down on this paper, on this iPad, that you have had and studied with. And the thing is, is that, Father, if you want to say something else, please do. But, Father, we just pray right now that through this series, we can find you. 
We can see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So I said we're studying the book of Habakkuk. And it's not fair for me to be the only one that has to try to pronounce that in front of a crowd. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you all to say Habakkuk. One, two, three. All right. Sounds like you just coughed up a furball. (laughs) Is that what it sounds like every time I say it? So Habakkuk, he's an Old Testament uh, prophet. He's a minor prophet. So a minor prophet. He never made it to the major leagues. Hashtag dad joke. Yes, and it doesn't get any better from here. I promise you. But here's the thing. He lived and wrote about 600 years before Christ. He was a very different prophet. What does a prophet do? So prophets speak to people on behalf of God. Habakkuk was not an ordinary prophet because he didn't didn't speak to people on behalf of God. He spoke to God on behalf of people. That's what he did because he didn't like what God was doing during that time. He didn't like it. So you see, Judah had been blessed. They were a blessed nation at that time. And and things were going well. And then all of a sudden, you start to see corruption. You'd start to see deception. Nothing like the world today. Um, And instead of prospering, they were hurting and they were in poverty. We don't see that, right? That's nothing. Nothing like that. And he just unleashes on God. And Habakkuk is asking the very same question that so many of us ask when we're in those times and we want to know, why God, this doesn't seem fair. And I'm going to go off my notes on this because here's one thing I do know. It's not all cotton candy and lollipops in life. It's not. It wasn't fair. Jesus said to He said to a rich young man, he said, hey, in order for you to follow me, I need you to get rid of everything and then follow me. But yet there was a thief up on the cross right next to him about to be tortured on that cross with him. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. How is that fair? That's not. Life isn't fair. Habakkuk chapter 1. Three chapters in the book, we're going to be in chapter 1 today. So, in verse 1, I'm not going to read it, because verse 1 basically tells us that he's a prophet. He received a prophecy, and it wasn't good. The prophecy was basically doomed to the nation. And, And so, it was a weight that Habakkuk was carrying, because he didn't know how to speak to the people. So now he was going back to God to say, why? So he receives this and he goes to God on the behalf of the people and he says this in Habakkuk 1, 2 through 3. How long, O Lord, must I call for, you, for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you. Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You know what I'm saying? I mean, think about this. Why didn't you heal my mom, God? Why didn't you do that? What I love about Habakkuk, though, is he's real. He gets in the dirt, and he cries, and he talks to God, 
And he's just real and relevant. He doesn't put on a, a mask and he doesn't put on anything. He just says, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is going on. The interesting thing is the name Habakkuk means to embrace and to wrestle. To embrace and to wrestle. Habakkuk is doing everything he can do to embrace who he knows God is and how he, who he thinks he is. And, and he knows, like, this doesn't line up with who I know you are. But the thing is, is that I want, I want, I want to let you know something. As he's embracing and wrestling, God is doing something in him. But I want you to lean over to your neighbor and say, "Uh uh-oh. And the neighbor that you just ignored, I want you to say, "Uh uh-oh, to them too. Sorry, you're my second best, but I'm going to say, uh uh-oh, to you. All right. This is heavy. This is an uh uh-oh moment. And and I want you to know this sermon series is not going to be like any other sermon series that we probably will do. There might be one down the road, but this is not a sitcom sermon. What does that mean? What is a sitcom sermon? Well, sitcom sermon, how many watched sitcoms when they were growing up? Like I watched Cosby. I watched uh, Growing Pains, Who's the Boss? You know, some of you might have watched Friends or The Office. Some of you might have even watched Happy Days because I caught the tail end of that, or Laverne and Shirley and things like that. Sitcom sermons, right? What is a sitcom sermon? That is where we see something happen in a sitcom, right? So here's a good thing. Everybody's good. Something bad happens. We argue. Everything at the end of a sitcom is all peachy, unless it's a season finale. Then it leaves you stressed out, right? You're waiting for the months to come. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? And then they cancel your show. (laughs) But in a sitcom series, that's what happens. Everything ends up being good. Sitcom message, same thing. This is our struggle. God will handle it. This is the end. This is not that message. This was the hardest message I have ever prepared for in my life. Because there's tension. There's tension and there's God's word. And the thing is, is that in the first chapter of Habakkuk, we don't really see a solution. Sorry to spoil your Sunday. But this is is it. You know, in a sitcom sermon... What tends to happen is something like this, right? We say, we have a job, you lost a job, God bless you with a better job, and now everything's fine. Or you're single, you marry, you find a guy, you marry him, his dad's rich, and you sell the company because the dad gives it to you, and then you can retire at the age of 33. God gives you a blessing. We're not going to do that. We're not going to solve something in 30 minutes today. What we're going to do is get raw and real. And we're going to talk and see if we can take something away from Habakkuk chapter 1. Sometimes in life you think you have a good marriage. Sometimes in life you think you have a good job, but you just don't get that job. 
And your marriage doesn't end up the way you think because your spouse cheats on you. And things happen. That's real life. That is real life. Sometimes in real life, you, you love your life and then you get sick and the doctor says, you have cancer and then all of a sudden the cancer is gone. And then a couple years later, the cancer is back. And you sit there and you wonder, well, why did I have to go through it the first time? And now I got to go through it again. And the thing is, is that I've been this person. I've been that Christian who will come and talk to those people that are hurting. And, and, and I'll talk to that brother and sister in Christ and I will say, hey, God's got this. But when you're in that, it doesn't feel like he's got anything. When you're in that, you just want to punch that person in the face with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like, it's, it's like, why would you come to me and say, God's got this. Let go and let God. Like, I know people I've said that to. But it doesn't happen all the time like that. Even though that's good theology, because God does have us, the thing is, is this is not real in that moment for us because we're experiencing those things. See, God doesn't... He, he doesn't feel good in the moment because you know he could do something about it, right? Like, I got cancer. God, you can just miraculously heal it. Get to work. And sometimes you just don't like the answer. God, you f- I fell off the side of a mountain and, and I bent like a pretzel and now my knee is bugging me. I've already done that. Why would I want to go get surgery again, God? Habakkuk feels like this. He he asks the question in Habakkuk 1, verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, destruction, and violence are before me? There's strife and there's conflict. It abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. God, I don't really think you're doing what's right. And then we want to be God. Because he's not doing what we think he should be doing. What, is, what are his problems? What is Habakkuk's problems here? He's not speaking to the people on behalf of God. He's going to God on behalf of the people. He's got the very same problems with God that some of you have. Number one, you don't seem to really care, God. Why do I go through this? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I suffering? Number two, you aren't doing much When you could, you have the power and you're not using it. Why? I don't understand. And he does say this, number three, what you are doing doesn't seem fair. Let me ask, how many have felt like that before? Yeah. How many feel if you were God, you would do things differently in in those times? Right? God, are you still even paying attention to me? Do you even care? Here's the, que- here's the question. Is it okay to question God? Is it okay? 
Is it okay to push back? Is that wrong? Is it unholy? Is it unfair? No, it's real. And I will say this. About a third of the Psalms is that. Someone being real and crying out to God in pain. It's okay. It's okay. There's several books like this in the Bible as well. Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Jeremiah, Job. They express confusion of what appears to be unjust suffering for the righteous. They complain about it. Those books all go through that. But the thing is, even Jesus, even Jesus on the cross said to God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why? I'm here doing what you asked me to do, God. Father, I'm here. I'm on this cross dying for their sins that you asked me to go do, but you've left. I don't see you. You've turned your back. Jesus was real. He did that. Why wouldn't it be okay for you? Let me explain. If you are a follower of Christ, at some point you have had some version of this story. You have totally turned away or you feel that he's totally turned away from you. You are hurting or life is good or whatever, but you recognize there must be more. There must be more. And you're not seeing it. And you recognize you're doing life without God, whatever it is, and you call on Jesus and you experience his grace, his forgiveness. I accepted Jesus when I was young. When I was 21, I found out I was a diabetic, and I turned my back on God. I started drinking myself. I, I, I just, I, I did, because I hadn't been experiencing those mountaintop experiences. Do you know those experiences, those mountaintops where, where you're looking out and you're like, hey, look at me. This is great. I love being up here. Nobody had those. Has anybody had those mountaintops? Yeah. Guess what? How many times do we lose focus on who God is in those mountaintops? See, I know when, when, when we're at those mountaintops, life starts happening though sometimes, and things go on that aren't so good. You go to church, and the sermon's like, eh, that wasn't for me. I wish I would have told someone to come for me. Right? You get in your car, the, the song on the radio is bad. Um, you go to the mall or you go to your favorite restaurant and there's no parking anywhere. So you pray. And all of a sudden, no Red Sea splits open, nothing that you're parking at the farthest place. I did that yesterday to pray to homes. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was pretty interesting. But the thing is, is that we go to that mountaintop and then life happens. And so much, so many times, we, we see what's going on. Like we pray for grandma and grandma doesn't get better. 
My mom got sick and passed away. I'm, stealing, I'm still dealing with diabetes. The doctor gives us news that we don't deserve. Whatever it is, it happens to us all. It happens to all of us. And in Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, calls that a crisis of belief. God, if you're so good, why am I not here and I'm over here? Why? I don't know. If you're involved, do you even care about me? Like, what's going on, God? And about this point, people think there's two options. The first one, and this is very unfortunate because this, this is really bad. Number one, unfortunately, what a lot of people do, and they do it with good intention, but it's really bad is they just deny it. They deny that that bad thing is happening. Oh, everything's okay. This ain't happening. God's got this. But inside, we're torn with turmoil. You know, and they just deny it. And, and I'm, it's going to go away, and I'll just keep denying it. Well, guess what? For 23 years, my diabetes has not gone away. Can I imagine if I would have sat and ignored it for 23 years? The other people, they say this. Well, you know what? If I'm here and I need to be here, God's not doing anything, God ain't real. God ain't real. Because if he was, he wouldn't be leaving me here. Forget it. I'm done. I'm not messing with this. I tried the Bible. It didn't work. It's not for me. They only think there's two options, but I think there's a third option. And I think this third option is very key for each of us. If you walk away from anything, you need to walk away with this third option. And that third option is in the middle of your pain. Wrestle. Wrestle. Wrestle with God. Be real with God. I don't get it. I'm confused. It's okay. Wrestle. Wrestle with them. You do this and the, the, the life doesn't get better. I don't understand. It's okay. Wrestle. Sometimes it conquers it continues to get worse, right? And then when it gets worse, you often do what James says. James 1, 2, five, 2 through 5 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because of, of you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works. What does that say? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be a mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The way to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintop, but it's to get to know him and, be his, and be his, understand his faithfulness in the valley. That's it. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. This is my story. This is who I am. This is what I've been through. With my mom, 
with my diabetes. This is it. And yes, I laid in a hospital bed in Texas. We talked about that story. Someone called me, but I still drank because I wanted to ignore it. I still went to other things because I tried to ignore it. Even though I knew Jesus was my answer, I was still in pain. And the thing is, is that if you are in pain, it's okay. Yes, Brian, you just said that a while ago, and you are that Christian that's saying that now. Well, I want to tell you, when I drank a lot and I was still hurting, God forgave me for doing what I did and turning my back on him. And then, boom, things were good. I went to youth. I was a youth, uh, youth minister and went to ministry school and became a pastor and I got to serve in the church and, and the things were starting to look up and I'm starting to get into this mountaintop. And then people in the church were saying things and questioning that was questioning my faith. They were saying just some weird things. People that I looked up to. But here's the thing. It allowed me to see Should I wrestle with something I'd never encountered before and try to embrace it or just let it go? And guess what? I wrestled. I embraced it. And I realized that those people that were saying those things, those people had been hurting too. Those people were hurt. And they were going through things. You know, finally I read a book Now you can watch the video, A Case for Faith, A Case for Christ. And that's when my life changed. Completely. That's when my life changed. But it's because I wrestled and embraced through the valley to have it stronger with God. When we were in crisis with my mom, I realized during this time, it was finding a new level of intimacy with him. When Emily and I came this way to St. George, Utah. I wrestled for six months with God on what this looked like. I thought I knew what it was supposed to look like. I didn't. So I started questioning, God, am I even supposed to be doing this? Did I just move my family 2,000 miles and now I need to turn around and go back? No, he met me in the valley. He met me in the valley. But I want you to know that you need to be open and honest and wrestle and embrace and find another level of intimacy with him during these times. There's somebody here that this is what you need to do. Your crisis of belief, we all get there at some point. We all have those times. I've had many conversations over the last year, just being here, people saying, I don't think God talks to me anymore. I don't think he's real. I don't believe. This is Habakkuk. He said, God, this doesn't seem fair. I don't understand. And guess what God does? God responds. 
God responds to him, and this is where he gets, it gets so exciting. Are you ready for God's response? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you really ready? ready? Okay, this is going to blow you away. This is what God says. Here's God's response. God, I don't understand you. You don't seem fair. Habakkuk 1.5. Look at the nations and watch. Here's what God says. And be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you will not believe even if, you were, even if you were told. Finally, God, you're going to do something. You're going to do something in this moment, in my crisis. You're going to do something. But remember, I told you this wasn't a sitcom sermon. God says, are you ready for this? I'm about to intervene and you're going to be amazed. It's, not, it's going to be unlike anything that you've ever seen. You've ever seen before. Look, you wouldn't believe it. Habakkuk 1.6, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who weep or sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. What? Why would you do that? Right? I mean, God tells them, hey, by the way, these Babylonians, these people that don't like you, I'm going to raise them up to conquer you. Are you kidding me? Have you been there? Have you had that experience in your life? Have you had that experience? God, you got this. I do. <laughs> Boom. I'm going to raise up your enemies. <laughs> How you like me now? <laughs> right? Habakkuk 1, 6-7 says, I'm raising up your enemies. I'm raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. What? They all come intent on violence. God says, you think it's bad now? Just wait. It's about to get worse. And I'm going to use your enemies to bring justice because of your sin. And this makes absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. What do you do when you find yourself there? What do you do? What does a committed believer do? A committed believer can both wrestle with the honest question and, and embrace in the genuine faith in God. That's what we can do. So you could do it at the same time. Wrestle and embrace. Ask Jacob, he did. He wrestled with God all night. So much that God just said, you're going to walk funny the rest of your life. But he did it. I want you to watch as Habakkuk does this, and he tries to embrace, and yet he doesn't understand, and he's wrestling. Watch it, see it, feel it. He embraces it and he says this. Habakkuk 1.12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. But God, you've appointed our enemies to execute judgment is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm wrestling, my rock, I'm embracing, but you've ordained them to punish. I'm wrestling, God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. I love you. I'm embracing. You can never tolerate wrongdoing. 
I'm embracing you, God. But why do you tolerate the treacherous? I'm wrestling, God. I don't understand. Why are you silent when the wicked swallows up these more righteous than themselves? I'm trying to embrace. I'm trying to wrestle. Listen to me. If you are there right now, what I want you to know is that God understands your pain. Even though it doesn't seem like that, he understands your pain. He welcomes your questions. And I'm convinced that God would rather have you yell at him than walk away from him. Be real with him. Be real. When you hit that wall, when you hit the crisis of belief, do not deny your doubts. Don't run from God. Let your doubts drive you to continue to embrace even when you wrestle with God. This is where I was with my mom. I wrestled. I still don't understand. But I do know one thing. If my mom would never have passed on, I would never be in St. George, Utah. Never. As much as it hurts, And as much as the pain is still there, I would never be here. I'm a diabetic for 23 years. My sugar this morning was at 425 when I was getting ready and I couldn't understand because I had just taken my shot. It did not make any sense except for this. He wanted to make a point. Brian, Wrestle and embrace. Wrestle and embrace. What if honesty, acknowledging your doubts, is your first step toward building a deeper faith? What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for maturing knowledge of God's character? And what if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with Him, requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? to hear him through the ominous utterance, to trust him in the moment of doom, to embrace his strength when you are weak with a burden. What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? We're in still chapter one in Habakkuk. There's three chapters. And I promise you, chapter two is not much better. It's not. It is not much better. But I don't want you to walk away from chapter one. Don't walk away in chapter one. There have been many people in life who have walked away from chapter one. Do not walk away from it. Please, I encourage you this week, go and study this book. Go to Psalms and keep going. Right before you get to the New Testament, it's in between the minor prophets. You'll find it, I promise you. It's the old, well, it's not the only weird spelling name, but it is a weird name. And it has H and it has a lot of K's. But this is what I know. Don't walk away from chapter one. Don't. You ready for the ending of the sermon? There is none. That's what I give you. Don't walk away from chapter one. Continue to push through. It might suck right now. I'm probably not supposed to say that. But that's okay. Because I'm real. 
I'm wrong as Habakkuk showed us to be. And I want each and every one of us to be real and raw because you guys could be going through those times. No, no solutions. Just don't walk away from chapter one. I don't have your answer. I know who does and I ask you to wrestle and embrace it. So let's pray. Father, this, this is the hardest message I've ever done. Father, I pray for those today who find themselves in chapter one, who are wrestling with you right now. I pray they do not walk away from you this week. I pray that you will encourage them and you will allow them to wrestle and embrace, allow them to be raw and real with you. God, I I have questions that I don't even understand. Some of you who are wondering who are hurting, who don't know the answers to the questions and you're still hurting. And you would say, Brian, would you pray for me? I want to embrace, but I want, I'm wrestling. Would you lift up your hands right now all over this place, eyes closed everywhere? Father, I pray for them. God, I thank you that they're being honest. I thank you, Father, that they, they're, they're wrestling. Father, and I pray as they embrace you that your goodness and your faithfulness will come through. But Father, if it doesn't, I just pray as they wrestle and pray as they embrace that they do not walk away from you. There's some of you that are in a really low spot in life and you're hurting. You're like, I've never, I'm not, I've never understood this. I don't understand what this faith thing is and I, I really don't know what to do. I, got, I believe that God will give us sometimes more than we can handle. But Brian, wait, there's, there's a verse that says he won't give me more than I can bear it. I think that's a misrepresentation. And Father, I pray that, that as you give us things that we can't bear, that we just turn to you. God, you are good enough. You sent your son so that we could have eternal life with you. And Father, I pray right now In this room, if there are people here that need to know who you are, I pray right now that they will lift their hands so that we can pray with them and they can believe in you, Father, for the first time or the first time in a long time. If that's you, I want you to know he loved us enough to send his son Jesus, who is perfect in every way, who was without sin to die in our place on that cross. Imagine this, he dies. It's a dark place. But on that third day, he rose again for each and every one of us. If that is you, raise your hands so that we can pray with you. So you can get to know who Jesus is. Thank you. Thank you. Let's everybody pray this everywhere we're at. 
As I pray this out loud, I ask that you just repeat it back so that nobody is praying alone. Heavenly Father, take my life. Forgive my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit, Father, so I can serve you and follow you every day of my life. I trust you. I embrace you. And I'm willing to wrestle. Use me to show your love. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your new life. Now have mine. In Jesus' name, amen.